Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. It's taken from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians, um, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, and he's writing this whilst in a putrid prison. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know my brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I love the Apostle Paul. As Nick comes up, I'll pray for you. Dearest Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray for Nick today as he brings your word that you would encourage his heart And would you sing over him, Lord God, and over us all, as we hear your voice speak to us today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks, Amanda. Uh, Let's jump straight into it. I want to bring a few thoughts, a few reflections on that passage from Philippians. But I thought you might want to know some trivia first of all, because trivia... Come on, who doesn't live by trivia? Do you know that Uber is one of the biggest food delivery ride-hailing services in the world? Get people around, but they don't own any cars. All right, I'm going to keep going. (laughs) Social media giant Facebook has more users than just about any other platform in the world, yet they don't produce any content. Online retailer Alibaba has one of the biggest um, retail shop fronts online in the world, they don't own any products. 
Airbnb is the largest accommodation provider in the world and yet they own no real estate. But a church that doesn't own the gospel is no church at all. It might be okay for Alibaba or all those other places to just be some sort of service provider or um, way of getting things where they need to go. But a church that doesn't own the gospel is no church at all. And the Apostle Paul this morning reminds the Philippian church that it's the church. Put your hand up if you're a part of the church, if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, you're welcome here, by the way. Church is not just for believers. It's for seekers, for inquirers. If you've got questions, doubts, concerns, you're very welcome. But by and large, most people that rock up on Sundays to these events are Christians. And we are called to own the gospel. And we'll look at that in just a a second, how we own the gospel as the church, how we are called to share the gospel, and how we're called to live the gospel. Own it, share it, live it. You turn to someone next to you and say, own it, share it, live it. (laughs) And if you're one of those people who doesn't like doing that, I get it. I don't like doing that either. But... It's helpful just sometimes to connect with those around you. Now, I'll premise this and just start before I just tap into those three, th- three things uh, by saying this as a kind of general background to the letter to Philippians, to what I've just said, what Paul says to us in the gospel. And it's this. It might be shocking. You might need to get a glass of water after I say this. You might need to take a deep breath. You might need to talk to someone about it, but I'm going to say it. Do you want me to say it? You said you wanted me to say it. Just remember. All right. Your happiness, mine as well, but I'll just use that, your, your security and your personal fulfillment in this life is not God's top priority or his main focus. My happiness, your happiness, my security, your security, my personal fulfillment, your personal fulfillment is not God's top priority or his main focus in this life. Are you okay? Take a breath. Because that's big, because we live in a culture and a society that is structured from birth to death for the most important person in the world, which is me. (laughs) You get off the phone to any company these days or you do some online web form, at the end of it, would you mind taking a minute just to rate our service? And give us feedback how we can make you happier, (laughs) more secure, more fulfilled next time we um, engage with you. Everything's tailored around making us happy, making us secure, and making us fulfilled in this life. Everything. We're a consumer culture. And yet we can see in our prayer earlier this morning for some in our police community, what's happening in Ukraine Israel, 
other parts of the world where life just suddenly goes, catastrophe hits, devastation hits. We live in a world designed and shaped around our happiness, security, personal fulfilment. And if we're not careful, we can apply that to our faith in Jesus and think that our faith is solely about our own happiness, our own security, and our own fulfillment. Now, there's a but coming in a moment. <laughs> okay, so just hold that thought. But Jesus said it this way in Mark 8.35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. It's reverse. Now, this is the interesting thing. This is my summary of Jesus. Not that he needs my summary, but put yourself first and lose. Put Jesus first and win. This is the but. In achieving his purposes and priorities, God is able and is going to weave in your ultimate happiness, your ultimate security, and your ultimate fulfillment for eternity. In achieving his purposes and going about his work, he's going to make you, if you put Jesus first, if you put your trust in him, he's going to make you eternally happy, eternally secure, eternally fulfilled. It's just that in this life, said Jesus, you will have many troubles. Those who wish to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, says the Apostle Paul, will suffer persecution. So if we get a mindset that says, my happiness, my security, my fulfillment is my primary aim in this life, we could miss being a part of what God's doing or wants to do through us and in us. And it can also shake us along the way when we hit a bad season or a difficult moment or a tragedy and it's like, God, what are you doing? How can I trust you if this is what happens to me? I thought having faith in you was supposed to protect me from harm, was supposed to keep me happy, was supposed to make me fulfilled in this life. And that's not ultimately what Jesus promises. But he does promise that if you and I put our trust and faith in him, as he achieves his purposes, as he accomplishes his mission, he will also weave us into that to be eternally happy, eternally secure and eternally fulfilled in him. You and I will never be more happy, more secure, more fulfilled than in aligning with and joining in God's purposes and plans for the world. So we need to guard against the cultural pressure which says this life is all about you, all about your happiness, your security and your fulfilment. When actually, here's a few things that God is doing in the world, that God's doing in his purposes that will include ultimately our happiness, our fulfilment and our security, but not necessarily immediately in this life exactly how we want that or think it should happen. One of the things God is doing is bringing glory to himself. I've heard this said once before and I'll say it to you. The only person in the universe who's allowed to be full of themselves is God. Because God is full and eternal. God is 
the ultimate being. God fills the universe and God wants all the nations, all the rebellious people, all the sinners to turn to know him, to love him, to honour him, to worship him because in that is happiness, is security, is fulfilment. Secondly, God is establishing his kingdom. He's bringing his kingdom and his reign over every heart, over every part of creation, over all the cosmos. That's another thing he's doing. He's redeeming the whole of creation. God is not just reconciling people to himself. He's aiming to restore the original goodness of creation, a new heaven and a new earth. God is saving humanity through Jesus, and he desires that all people are saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God is transforming us morally and spiritually into the likeness of Christ, lives characterized by love, holiness, obedience, and this happens as we respond to the gospel and grow in our faith. God is gathering a people for himself, a family for his own glory that worships him in spirit and truth. God is establishing justice and righteousness throughout the earth, and he will establish it. And God is preparing humanity for the return of Christ. There's just a few of the things, apparently, that Scripture says God is doing. And in that, God is able to include little me and little you in his purposes. That ultimately, in him, as he achieves his purposes, we will be happy. We will know eternal security. We will know eternal fulfillment. And so Paul is in prison. (laughs) And Roman prisons were, it's hard enough being in prison today, but Roman prisons were extremely awful places to be. More like dungeons. If no one looked after you, you'd just rot there and die. Um, They were horrible places. Dark, damp, dungeons, awful places. And Paul's in prison and it would be easy for Paul to be saying, Lord, why, what are you doing? Why has this happened to me? I thought you called me to make your gospel known. And here I am in prison. I've lost my freedom. I'm suffering. I'm sad. And he could get really discouraged and like, oh, obviously you can't trust God. I trusted God and I'm in prison. What good is faith? No, he doesn't say that because he's the Apostle Paul. And that would be rather awkward um, if we had to um, preach that this morning. But this is what he says. I thank God. (laughs) Just think about that for a minute. Whatever you're going through, whatever difficulty, whatever's happening in your life, in my life, think of where Paul is. Not only is he in prison, he doesn't know whether they're about to cut his head off or not, literally. He's facing execution potentially at any moment. And he starts writing to the church. I thank God. And it's not this kind of sugary, saccharine kind of praise the Lord. He genuinely is grateful. I thank God every time I remember you, church. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. And why does he pray with joy? Because his circumstances are great? Because he's personally happy and secure and fulfilled? No, he's not. In his circumstances, why does he have joy as he prays for the church community? This is why he has joy. I have joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Your partnership, your partnership, your partnership, your partnership, your partnership. He's writing to the church and he says, I'm joyful because of your partnership in the gospel. And the word he uses is the word in Greek, koinonia, where we get the word fellowship or partnership. 
but it's a technical word in the culture, which is like a business partnership. It's like a bond that brings two parties together to take ownership of a particular business or endeavour in, in a legal contracted way. And so Paul says to the church, I'm joyful and I thank God because you all own the gospel with me. You all share in the ownership, the partnership, your business partners in God's gospel work. You have a share. You have a part in this. And he said, I'm joyful about that because I'm in prison. <laughs> and if it was just me owning the gospel, if it was just up to Christian leaders to own the gospel, we'd all be in trouble. But he says, I'm so joyful because I know, Philippians, church community, that you get that each and every one of you has a partnership and ownership of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Tom Wright says it this way, in Paul's world, it was, normal, it was a normal word for a business partnership in which all those involved would share in doing the work on the one hand and the financial responsibilities on the other. The Philippians then are partners in the gospel, partners in grace. They are in the gospel business, the grace business. And that's what the church is. We're a gospel grace business. Not in the financial sense, but that's our main mission. That's our main calling as a church community. And it manifests in lots of ways. You might be thinking, well, I'm not much of a preacher or a teacher. I'm not really good in sharing the message of Jesus with others at this point in my life. But think about all the roles and all the ways that we serve in our church community, out into the local community. We have elders. We have like 24 elders across the church community, people serving and overseeing the flock prayerfully and caring for them. We have people leading our ministry for children and for youth, like dozens, dozens and dozens of people giving time and space to teach our kids and our youth. We have people on the property committee looking to work out how we can best utilise our land for, for God's kingdom work, for gospel work. Just think of this morning, we've got Andrew Thompson and Lisa Warner there, back there serving us in the back corner. Um, we've got Kate Dickinson and Margaret Shepherd on morning tea helping out this morning. Uh, many people serving throughout the, the week, Julie Draper and others offering support to our community through the Tuesday supermarket pickup. Um, Steve Polglase is not here today. And Steve needs your prayers too. He's not well as, as we've known for some time, but he's had some further complications this week with his uh, lungs. Uh, so be prayerful for Steve. He's in a difficult position at the moment. But he's been a servant of this church for many years. And, and so much of where we are now is in response to his leadership, his project management skills, and so many others. And we all own the gospel and we can share that ownership and express that ownership in different ways through our prayers throughout the week for each other, for our local community, for our leaders, through our giving of time, talents and treasure. We all have a part to play in the ownership of the gospel. And Paul is joyful about that. He's in prison. And he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you in verse 7. Since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel out there, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What makes Paul happy is not his circumstances, 
But he's happy that God's work is going forward and God is achieving his purposes, even though his own personal situation is very difficult and very hard. He's able to rejoice that the gospel is going forward. So we own the gospel, people. We're called to own it and to partner, to share in the business of grace in our church community in so many ways. But secondly, we're called to share the gospel. And this is what Paul says in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. This is amazing. He's in this difficult situation, but he's finding a way to rejoice and thank God. And listen to this, verse 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, the prison was near one of the palaces, and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. What he's saying is, I'm getting an opportunity to make Jesus known in this jail. (laughs) Prisoners, prison guard, palace officials are hearing about the message of Jesus. Isn't that great, church? It's, oh, thank you. for. I was paraphrasing him to the Philippians, but yeah, it's great, right? He's finding a way, again, not to be this kind of hallmark card, sugary kind of, oh, praise the Lord, isn't it all great? No, he's really genuinely happy and rejoicing that God's purposes are happening in prison. Prison guards are hearing about Jesus. They're coming to faith. Maybe their whole families, officials, They're hearing about Christ and Paul is like, this is fantastic. This is so good. I'd be complaining about all sorts of things if I was in that prison. Like the food is terrible because there's none. (laughs) Unless your family or friends come and feed you. Uh, The heating and cooling is terrible. It's just awful. I'd be so concerned with my personal happiness, my comfort, my security, my fulfillment. Paul's not like that. He's like, it doesn't matter my personal circumstances aren't as important as knowing that God's work is going forward. The gospel is reaching new people. Now, I've been pastoring long enough to know that when we get up here and say to our church community, we need to share our faith in Jesus. Like everyone, like pretty much we'll sit there and we'll be like, yeah, we need to do that. (laughs) And then there's another voice inside goes, And I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Someone else can do it, but I'm not going to talk to Jesus at my work or at my school or in my my pagan family. They just think I'm an idiot. And it's, it's hard, right? It's hard to literally think about how we share Jesus with others in a way that's not weird or or kind of prepackaged. And that's okay. It's not part of our culture. We've been kind of trained in our culture to keep faith to yourself. It's a private thing. The fact that, you know, you believe, that's good for you. Just shut up about it. <laughs> don't tell me anything. I don't know. Don't shove the Bible down my... Like, this is funny from a culture that spends like $500 million a year trying to get us to drink alcohol, um, you know, or whatever. Uh, advertisers spend hundreds of millions trying to get us to buy their product. But apparently, when you have faith, you just got to shove it down to this secret little vault inside and never talk about it. Our culture says that to us. We don't have to listen to the culture, but it does say that. We can feel ill-equipped. I don't know what to say. Like, what if I get a really hard question? You know, what do I do? What if I look like an idiot? I don't know. One of the great things that I loved about Christian people when I was uh, um, fairly um, 
unchristian person, and I was starting to hear about faith, was when I'd try and catch them out or trip them up or make them look stupid because that's the great kind of guy I was. Um, I didn't do it a lot, but you try and just be smart-ass about it. Can you say that in church? Sorry. <laughs> Smart Alec. <laughs> you know what I mean. And so you'd get these, and they'd be like, and what impressed me the most was when a Christian person just said, you know, Nick, to be honest, I don't know the answer to that. If it's really important to you, I can find out some things and get back to you, but I don't know. I just know that Jesus changed my life, that he's real for me, and he made a difference in my life. And that just, like, floored me, pulled the rug out from under me. And I didn't really want those answers sometimes. I was just being smart, Alec. And uh, so we can feel ill-equipped. We can feel imperfect. But Paul, nonetheless, encourages the Philippians that not just he's getting to share the gospel in jail, but in verse 14 he says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, that's us, we're not in jail at this time, have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And what we need to note there is that the early Christians felt timid, they felt ill-equipped, they felt scared about the thought of sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. We need to hear that. So it's okay for us to feel like that as well. It's okay, but we don't have to stay there. And the good thing that's happened here is this amazing, gifted apostle, this mighty apostle of God has been put in jail. And the church has gone, well, hey, if sharing the gospel is just Paul's job, what are we going to do? He's in jail. Great, he's converting the prison guards, but we've got a job to do, church. This is up to us. We've got to step up here. It's not just up to the leaders to share the gospel. And Paul says, I'm so happy because you brothers, you've become confident and are daring to proclaim the gospel without fear. And let's be real here. They had genuine reason to be afraid. As in the authorities saying, we'll arrest you and kill you if you keep speaking in this name of Jesus. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to feel like such an idiot if someone asked me Monday, what did you do on the weekend? And I say, oh, I went to church. Oh, my gosh. That's not easy, perhaps. But it's also not easy to share Jesus and know that you might be arrested and put to death. So that's the environment that they are starting to share the gospel. So Paul is rejoicing in that. And he says in some of his other letters, again, the way we share the gospel is about how we live the gospel. We'll get to that as the last point. He says in Colossians 4, 5 to 6, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Be prepared if someone were to say to you tomorrow, why are you a Christian? What difference has Jesus made in your life? Be prepared to answer that. Think about it. Pray about it because we can forget we can forget just how much Jesus has done for us. We can forget that first love of how he came into our life. We can forget how he's helping us, being faithful to us in the challenges we're having now. Just think, if someone were to say, why are you a Christian? Happened to me at Alpha the first week. Young guy sitting next to me just turns to me and says, Nick, so why are you a Christian? And he was, he's in a place of searching. You need to be ready to say, I'm a Christian because. And tell your story. Tell what God has done for you. Maybe it's a current thing. I've been going through a really difficult season of grief and my faith in God gives me strength. Reading his word gives me peace. Knowing his love gives me comfort in my grief. 
Be ready to share what Jesus is doing, has done for you. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But listen to this. Do this with gentleness and respect. We aren't to browbeat people or to try and take over society as Christians. We're meant to live salt and graceful lives. And when people ask, when people show interest, to share the love of Christ, the word of Christ with them, but with gentleness and respect. So that's the third point. Firstly, we own the gospel. We're to share the gospel. And finally, we're to live the gospel. And Paul says this in verse 27, which we Amanda didn't read, but I'll jump down there. Whatever happens, as in if they do chop my head off, um, conduct yourselves in a manner, or they chop yours off, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What would it mean to live in a way worthy of the gospel of Christ? Paul says, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I'll just share with you something I looked at in the last two or three weeks. As um, we see in the book of Acts, when people believed, most of the first Christians were Jews, so they knew the Old Testament Bible, they, had, they were praying, and they believed and were baptised. As the church went on, and they started to reach more non-Christian people, pagans as they used to be called, um, they realised that they started to have to prepare people much more for baptism. And it wasn't just kind of be baptised, uh, believe and be baptised. And this is what they did. Um, probably from around the second century on for, for hundreds of years in the church, they raised the bar really high to joining the church community. It wasn't like, hey, we saw you walking past. Hey, do you want to be an elder? <laughs> you know, whatever. It wasn't just like, come in and, you know, you'd be part of things. You, you were welcome. But to be a member of the church, to be baptised, they raised the bar really high because what they found was people were believing becoming Christians, but then when they hit persecution or hard times or difficulties, they were falling away. They weren't staying with it. And so the church said, we've got to do something about this. So if you wanted to be a Christian from the second century onwards, and I'm not saying we should do this now, just highlight what it meant to prepare people to live for Christ, not just believe in him. You had to go through about two years preparation before you could be baptised. And if you agreed to be baptised at the end of that two years where there was teaching, where there was you know, pastoral oversight, prayer for you, if you still wanted to go ahead with baptism on Easter Sunday, there was about an eight-week intensive process before Easter Sunday, before they'd baptise you. There was daily intensive teaching and prayer, instruction about Christian living, biblical doctrine. Um, there was daily prayer by elders and leaders in the church praying for you, a laying on of hands to exercise idols and demons from your life anointing you with oil with the sign of the cross regularly. There would be fasting and prayer that you would have to partake in the week leading up to Easter Sunday. You'd have to confess your past sins to, the, to other leaders in the church community. You'd have to confess your faith in public on, on Easter, uh, which was very costly in the culture. You'd have to renounce the devil, um, acknowledge your acceptance of Jesus, and you were baptised on Easter Sunday. This is after two years. And then you're allowed to come into the community after that wearing a white robe and take communion for the first time. Now you're a Christian. That's pretty good preparation, right? Just something for us to think about in our church community that we, we are preparing people for a life of faith. It, it is believing in Jesus and being saved, but it's also learning to live the gospel, to live like Christ. And that can be costly, as Jesus said, pick up your cross and 
follow me. So let's sum it up. Do you own the gospel? Do you have an ownership of it? If you're a Christian, you have a share. You're a shareholder in stewarding the gospel that God has sent us to proclaim and to share. Is your heart attuned to share the gospel in your own way, in your own personality, your own circumstance? But to be able to say in a non-kind of freaky, weird way, Jesus has made a difference in my life. This is how Jesus is helping me in my life right now. I don't know all the answers to your questions necessarily, but Jesus is real to me and I love him and he's changed my life. To share the gospel and then to live the gospel as well. So let me repeat. You ready? So we started with your happiness, your security and your personal fulfillment in this life is not God's top priority or his main focus. However, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is accomplishing your eternal happiness, your eternal security, your eternal fulfillment. The gospel of Jesus is our only hope. And the church, you and I, are called to own that gospel to partner with God in it. We're called to share that gospel and we're called to live that gospel in lives of sacrificial service. In the end, the gospel is not a proposition. It's not a program. The gospel is a person, King Jesus. He owned the gospel first and foremost with his own blood. He shared the gospel his whole life, but with his dying breath, when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Jesus lived the gospel, the good news, in his life, in his death for us, and his resurrection. And he lives here now with us by his spirit, and he's able to help us to own the gospel, share the gospel, live the gospel and ultimately bring us to a place of eternal happiness, eternal security and eternal fulfillment. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gospel that saves us, that reconciles us to God, for the gospel that is bringing all things together for good, for the gospel that will deal with injustice and evil and wickedness and violence and hate and division and will bring righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gospel where one day you will wipe away every tear. And Lord, there have been a tsunami of tears in this world, a vast ocean of tears. And yet, Lord, you promise through the gospel through what you've done to wipe away all those tears. Lord, we thank you. We trust you. Lord, help each of us take our part in owning the gospel, take our part in sharing the gospel, and take our part in living the gospel. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. 
if you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.